This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my hardworking, adorable service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, our guest is Wayne Paselli, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Humane Society of the United States. And Wayne is also the New York Times bestselling author, and he's going to talk with us today about his new book that's causing a lot of great conversation about animal welfare, and that title is The Humane Economy, Animal Protection 2.0, How Innovators and Enlightened Consumers are transforming the lives of animals. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Wayne Paselli to the show. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. I'm so excited to welcome the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Humane Society of the United States, Wayne Paselli, to the show. Hello, Wayne, and welcome. So glad to be with you, Marcy. Thanks for having me on. And yeah. Lovey, too. Thank you yeah. for having me on. <laughs> yeah, well, Lovey and I are thrilled for you to be with us. And, and let's start off, Wayne, by telling our listeners a little bit about the Humane Society of the United States. Tell us about the history and its mission. Absolutely. The Humane Society of the United States was founded in 1954, so not too long after World War II when our country was growing, and we really started to begin to think about some important social issues. And the folks who founded the organization placed it in Washington, D.C., because that's where the center of public policy is in the U.S. They felt that one important purpose of the organization would be to professionalize the work of animal shelters and other animal care organizations, but also to do things that those groups weren't able to do on a daily basis. Those groups are consumed with helping animals in their communities, but they probably didn't have the resources to work on humane slaughter or to crack down on interstate dog fighting rings or to halt the use of animals in cosmetic testing. So the purpose of HSUS was to take on the biggest problems that animals face. 
recognizing that we can't rescue our way out of these problems for animals, that while rescue is important and vital for our movement, there are billions of animals caught up in the food production system, millions in testing, uh, hundreds of millions used in wildlife management and fashion. And the Humane Society of the U.S. today is the number one animal care provider in the world. We have helped 250,000 animals directly with direct touches this year. But the biggest and I think most important purpose is to turn around the biggest institutionalized forms of animal exploitation, factory farming, uh, seal clubbing and whaling, puppy mills, organized animal fighting operations, horse slaughter, greyhound racing. All of these different problems have confounded humane advocates for many years, and we are strategically attacking these problems and I think, in, and I think just making incredible gains on every front. Yeah, well, I just thank you so much for the work you're doing. I mean, it's just incredible. And I just love your new book, The Humane Economy, and how you really describe the whole revolution in American business and public policy that's, that's really starting to change how we treat animals and how we think about animals. So tell us, Wayne, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I always was drawn to the moral arguments for animals, the fact that animals are not our equals in every sense. You know, we humans are distinct in having this great creative brain and all of the incredible ingenuity that we have, but animals are our equals in their capacity to suffer. And I always felt that that was kind of the most morally relevant criterion for us. And because their lives matter to them and because we have choices and we can live our lives in ways that don't require us to exploit animals, I felt we had a duty to be merciful and good to other animals. But I've been doing this a while. I've been CEO of the Humane Society of the U.S. for 12 years, and I've really come to see a convergence of animal protection values and our moral sensibilities about animals with our kind of general economic welfare. I think as a general thesis, when we're bad to animals, we see bad economic outcomes. When we're good to animals, we see better economic outcomes. And the thesis in my book is that those things are converging, they are aligning, but we also have a duty to figure this out and to, and to experiment in a way that really pushes us to find new ways to do business that do not rely on exploiting animals. So just, Marcy, to give you a very practical example safety assessments for cosmetics. So chemicals and compounds are used to make cosmetics that uh, people apply to their faces. And, you know, it's the beauty industry and it's a big part of our culture and a big part of our species. Obviously, cosmetics are used all, all over the world. Well, the traditional way of doing safety assessment was to poison animals with very high concentrations of these products by force feeding them or putting the products in the eye of the animal, like a rabbit, and seeing what happened to the animal's eye. Now, we have found not only is that not very reliable in assessing safety risks for us at these very high dosage levels or concentration levels, but we now have alternative methods. I mean, not only can we use products that are known to be safe, but when there's a potentially unsafe product, we can test it by other means. And now hundreds of companies are testing their cosmetics without relying on animals and not hurting animals at all. They're marketing the product safely, and they're marketing them better because now they have a little symbol on the product that says no animal testing. That's a marketing advantage. The companies that continue to test on animals 
aren't saying we test on animals because that would be a tremendous marketing disadvantage. And this is the thesis of my book is that there's economic opportunity when you do the right thing for animals. That I when love you, that. And I think you see this in agriculture. I mean, who wants to buy a product from a factory farm where the animals are overcrowded, they're dosed with hormones and antibiotics? Why not a, you know, a plant-based product where there's no animal involved at all? Or if you're going to eat meat and other animal products, get it from a farmer who's treating the animals, you know, thoughtfully and consciously every day, where the animal isn't dosed with products that are unsafe for us. Think of the whole issue of African wildlife. You know, there are people who go shoot elephants and lions for their heads or for their tusks or, you know, to mount a trophy or to get the ivory from the elephant. That is a one-time use of the animals. It's a selfish and inhumane use of the animals, but it robs African nations of their greatest resources. By keeping the living capital in their native habitats, keeping elephants alive, keeping lions alive, a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand people can watch one elephant or one lion. You can monetize the appreciation of these animals and the economic value of that to these countries is immense, so much greater than killing and slaughtering animals. So in every realm of how we use animals, every sector of the economy, food and ag, wildlife management, fashion, in my book, I talk about how the humane choice is also the economically advantageous choice. And that's really the core argument in my book. Well, and I also love in the book how you point out that it's not just the responsibility of businesses to do the right thing, but it's also consumers who must do the right thing. And I know you just touched on that by the marketing advantage when it says that something is not tested on animals. But tell us a little bit more about what you think consumers should be doing in order to do the right thing. Well, Ultimately, it's about consumers. Even you know, The corporations are responding to their customers, to the consumers, because they realize that this is a viewpoint that is now widely embraced by good, sensible people. And this is another core argument in my book, is that in 2016, we have evidence of a rising tide of consciousness about animals. We can no longer be in denial about their capacities, their qualities, their, their ability to suffer. And we have so much information from scientists, pathologists, animal behaviorists about their complex emotional lives, about the fact that these animals feel pleasure and pain, they feel fear and terror. They have a wide range of emotions just like we do. And I think the public now gets it. For a long time, we were quite disassociated from certain types of animals and certain uses of animals on factory farms or in testing labs. Now with social media and with this surge in publishing about animals, this surge in interest, we really understand things in a much sharper focus. And people are responding, but ultimately it's up to us as consumers. We're the ones who have to act as moral agents in this economy. We have to make the right choices if we want to have the kind of world that we want to be proud to live in. You know, I don't, for one, you know, I love our country, but that doesn't mean that every single thing we do I'm proud of. When we have animal cruelty that's part of economic activities in our country, it saddens me. It doesn't make me do anything but want to change it for the better. And I think that's been the whole history of our country. We've seen abuses. We've seen injustice. We've turned these problems around through intentional activity. 
That's why our country is blessed to have an organization like the Humane Society of the United States and other animal welfare organizations that really work every single day to drive these ideas in society and to harness the collective energy of people of common mission and purpose to try to make the world a better place for animals and for people. And that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah, well, I was reading about your decision to meet with Michael Vick and to work with him and to engage him to end dogfighting. I mean, an example of what you're talking about, about the things that we're ashamed of that, that our country does engage in. So how hard was that for you, Wayne? I mean, it, talk about intention and rising above and, and really reaching out. What was that like? Well, I talked about it with Oprah in my recent interview with her on her show, Super Soul Sunday, and I went into it in depth in my first book called The Bond. But, you know, we we at the Humane Society of the U.S. for many years have had the toughest anti-dogfighting campaign uh, of any organization. We've been changing the laws, investigating these animal fighting rings, bringing these perpetrators to justice. And, of course, when Michael Vick was arrested under a federal statute that we worked to develop and to work with lawmakers to enact, we were, you know, shocked by the barbarism, by the cruelty, by the sort of deadened sensibility that he had toward these animals. We demanded his prosecution. But at the end of his prison term, through an intermediary, he reached out and said he wanted to get involved in our anti-dogfighting work. My immediate instinct was this is just a public relations ploy. He wants to get back in the good graces of society so he can get back into the NFL. And, you know, I don't want to be used for that purpose. A few minutes after I hung up the phone and told the person on the other end of the line, no, I really thought, you know, what are we about at the Humane Society of the United States? We're about change, right? We're about individuals who did the wrong thing moving to a better place and doing the right thing. We're about building awareness. We're about you know, reaching new communities with our message. And I thought, well, if Michael Vick is serious about this, or even if it's just for public relations, he'll put boots on the ground in urban communities where kids are getting pit bull type dogs for the wrong reasons and warn them away from dog fighting. And in the process, hopefully create thousands and thousands of newly conscious people about this problem and new recruits to our organization and other animal welfare causes. And you know, I thought that's what we do, right? We work with people to get them to open up their eyes. We don't just cheer them if they're already an animal protection advocate. We we love cheering our friends, but that's not the point of all of our work. The point is to change people for the better. So I worked with Michael, and we went to dozens of cities, talked to tens of thousands of kids, and I hope and I really believe that we spread a lot of awareness about the issues. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's true leadership when you really look at it with that that attitude of really making change and really embracing someone who you would think negatively of. And I think so many people felt that way, but how awesome that you rose above that and took that leadership role, which is what makes you so great in your position, Wayne. Well, we are going to take a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors. And we're going to come back with a whole lot more questions for Wayne and, and a few questions of things that he talked about with Oprah on Super Soul Sunday. So come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned.
Don't do what I did and run out. If it's working, don't quit. Why would you stop? Why undo all the good that's been accomplished? You've got to feed them right for life. Dynavite is nutrition. If I ever took Roy off of Dynavite... No, 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 no. When I get to about three quarters... When I get down to the bottom of my box of Dynavite... Oh, no. I've got a couple more scoops. It's time to place my order. Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite for your dog this week. We'll send you a bottle of Liquor Chaps free. New, improved Liquor Chaps with Omega-6, Omega-3... Vitamin E. And now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Liquid Chops. Free this week at Dynavite.com. Just feed your dog right. Use Dynavite. Dynavite for life. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Begging to hear more of your favorite show? Full episodes of all our shows are available on demand. Go to PetLifeRadio.com to fetch our entire lineup of possum pet podcasts. Also, dig us up in iHeartRadio and iTunes. Let's talk pets. Live and on demand only from Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting today with President and Chief Executive Officer of the Humane Society of the United States, Wayne Paselli. And Wayne is talking with us about his amazing new book, The Humane Economy. And I, you did mention before the break, Wayne, about being on Super Soul Sunday. And I really loved how you talked with Oprah about spirituality and how that goes hand in hand with exercising compassion for all living things. And, and I was hoping you could share with our listeners your spirituality practices and and your thoughts about spirituality well you know i i really have always been connected to animals it's been a, a deeply felt emotional sort of bond i've had and i think you know my spirituality is tied to this notion that i believe that you know we're one being on this incredible you know blue green marble called earth and at the surface of earth you know, down a few feet and then up into the atmosphere is this thin zone of life that sustains us and other creatures. And I look at this set of life forms and I'm in awe of it. I recognize that other animals are different from us. They've got these beautiful eyes and they've got this incredible fur and they're athletic and they do remarkable things, especially, you know, with their athleticism. And they come in so many different shapes and sizes and forms and you can see enormous abundance with herds of caribou or, you know, enormous flocks of birds or you can see solitary cheetahs or, you know, blue whales that are 100 feet long and weigh 100 tons. And, you know, I'm just in awe. And my instinct in recognizing all of these other life forms is to be protective, to really adhere to the idea of stewardship and proper care. And you know, I, I've always known that we have an asymmetrical relationship with animals, that in the relationship we have with them, we hold all the cards. We have all the power. We can choose to use our power recklessly, treating power as license, or we can use that power wisely, carefully, responsibly. And 
I really have always felt that this is more a question of human responsibility than it is animal rights. It's how we conduct ourselves, how we handle this immense power that we have, how we choose to restrain ourselves, even in the face of opportunity. And that has really been my spiritual belief for a very, very long time. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And boy, does that resonate with me. Having a disability is no fun, but one of the silver linings of having a disability is getting to have a relationship with an incredible assistance dog. And it's, I always tell people it's hard to articulate that beauty and that oneness. And I love you saying that, that oneness, because that's how I feel with all of my dogs that it's like we're one. You know, and that relationship and that respect is just, it's hard to articulate. It's so incredibly beautiful and spiritual. It really is out of this world, really, when you think about about what animals mean to us and how they communicate and what they do to help us. It's incredible. I was with a songwriter who came to one of my talks, and I didn't say this, but he said, he, he came to me afterwards and he said, we, we all have a heartbeat, don't we? And I thought, you know, yes, I mean, the dog, my dog is a heartbeat, your dog is a heartbeat, and a whale has a heartbeat, and a bird has a heartbeat. I mean, there are things that unify us. There are things that are so fundamentally similar that to justify this differential treatment becomes very, very difficult. It becomes kind of an exercise in human creativity to figure out how we're so different from animals that somehow you know, we should treat them as if they're nothing. Right, right. When I just, as a person who I am independent because of my animal, I'm able to work and have a productive life because of a dog. You know, and that's been that way for over two decades. It was an awakening for myself, you know, of really experiencing that and really learning what animals can do for us and how they can impact us. And I believe that as you talk about in your book and that we're all experiencing awakening in how animals really, as you said, that they do feel, they suffer, they have all of those experiences and how we need to change in how we treat them and how we interact with them. So I was wondering, what do you think about the treatment of animals and how people are experiencing that awakening? And that's really what I talk about in the book, The Humane Economy, is this awakening that we're almost now at a critical mass of social concern for animals. And we're seeing that playing out in different sectors of the economy with Ringling Brothers and SeaWorld giving up their iconic animals, you know, Ringling saying it's going to retire the elephants and SeaWorld saying it's going to stop breeding of orcas with the Congress passing legislation to restrict chemical testing on animals and other nations in the world ending cosmetic testing on animals. 200 food companies in the last year, Walmart, McDonald's, Burger King, Cracker Barrel, Safeway, Sodexo, every big name brand you can think of in food retail saying they're going to phase out their purchase of eggs from farms that can find the hens in small cages. I mean, the Cecil case last summer where this American trophy hunter shot this lion and within a month, 45 airlines, the biggest names, United, American, Delta, Lufthansa, you know, Cathay Pacific, they all said they're going to stop shipping trophies of lions and other African wildlife in the cargo hold. I mean, these are all manifestations of this growing concern for animals. And it's playing out in the corporate world. It's playing out in Congress. 
that's playing out in you know our personal behaviors on the ground, and that is a welcome circumstance for sure. Yeah, and those are all just incredible stories that we, as you said, that we start hearing about every day on the news and what an impact that can have. And that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, how can everyday economic decisions impact the survival and well-being of animals, and how can we make choices that better support them? Well, the biggest thing that all of us do that has an impact on animals is our food choices. And, you know, a lot of times we don't think about it because food is presented to us, it's packaged or it's prepared, and we really have little idea of the backstory except to know that there was a farmer involved and, you know, it was photosynthesis and and other, you know, natural processes that allowed, you know, plants to grow or or animals to grow. And I think one of the things that's so important to know is that agriculture, especially animal agriculture, you know, took a harsh turn more than a half century ago. And we put animals into big buildings and we jammed them in cages and we denied them sunlight and any opportunity to socialize in, in normal patterns. And this sort of deprivation that became routine and normal on the factory farm is not acceptable from any sort of logical animal welfare perspective. And we consumers have all the power to change that. We can stop buying products from factory farms. We can eat more plant-based foods. We can eat more humanely produced animal products. And, you know, when we go to the department store, we can get products that are not tested on animals. We can get cosmetics and other products not tested on animals. We can get a dog or a cat from a shelter or a rescue group rather than from a puppy mill or a pet store that is selling a puppy mill dog. I mean, these are choices that we have that are simple little options for us that don't diminish our lives in any way, but they're life-changing for animals. It means nothing to us in the sense of an inconvenience or cost to make this superior choice, the humane choice, but it changes the animals' lives it means life or death to those creatures. So I think what I talk about at the end of the book are 10 ways that each of us as conscious consumers can change the world for animals. We have that power. I see it every day in my position as CEO of HSUS that individual people make a difference. Most people stand on the sidelines. Most people are bystanders as social change occurs. But fortunately, a percentage of people take the reins and they get involved and they're the ones who drive the change. We want to invite more people into the cause of driving change. Obviously, one way to do that is to become part of a larger enterprise like the Humane Society of the U.S. Become a member. Go to humanesociety.org. Join us. And in that collective power of thousands and millions of people with a shared purpose, you can truly change the world. I love that. Well, and I also love what you said with Oprah about the true purpose of animals on Earth. And I was hoping you would share that with our listeners today, too. Well, you know, I think that we're one species among many on this planet. And and I think I said to her, you know, what a boring world it would be without these other creatures. They cite us, they give us, you know, wonder and show us what grandeur is. I mean, these are, you know, the greatest pieces of animated art (laughs) in the world. I mean, they're dazzling. We're drawn to animals. We've always been drawn to animals. And it's just, you know, kind of what I said earlier, Marcy, it's like I just feel a sense of kinship and I feel a sense of responsibility. And it doesn't require anyone to think, well, they're equal to us. 
all it does is require us recognizing that they have their place too, that their suffering matters to them just as much as our suffering matters to us, and that if we can act responsibly, why shouldn't we? Why should we be doling out gratuitous cruelty when we can live in other ways? Yeah. And and it is such common sense. And that's what I loved about the book is you really write it in such a way that it's just so easy to understand and to think how else should we be functioning? Because it just makes such good sense, not only for ourselves, but for our planet, just to do the right thing and to be respectful of animals and ourselves. I really believe that it's not Lewis and Clark traversing the country in 1803 where they didn't have supermarkets and convenience stores to meet their daily needs. Now we can meet our needs and we don't need to hurt animals in the process of living our lives. And when we respect animals and when we preserve them, we actually create economic opportunity. You know, I talk about whaling as an archetypal example of the transition from an inhumane economy to a humane economy. We used to be the biggest whaling nation in the world, and whaling, you know, allowed us to collect the oil of these animals that fueled a growing country in the 18th and 19th centuries. We now have discovered other means of generating energy. There's no reason to kill whales for oil because we can obtain powerful energy sources by other routes. And we also recognize that, you know, these are not just blobs of oil, you know, floating around the planet. These are living beings, the biggest animals who've ever lived on the planet. And by protecting them, we can actually inspire people to watch them. And now we have a multi-billion dollar whale watching industry that, that long ago displaced the whaling industry. And it makes money for people just to watch and see the biggest animals who've ever lived on the surface of the planet. Yeah. I mean, and as as someone who loves to go on those adventures, watching the whales, it, you're so right. I mean, it's just such a different approach. And, and we are in a much different age now where we've passed the industrial age and we're now in the digital age. And it's just such a different way of, of living and being. And as as we grow on our planet and our population increases, we just have to look at things differently. And I just love the way you presented it. And I, I just wish that everybody could read The Humane Economy because it's just such a informative way of really thinking about how we live and, and what choices we make and, and how our daily choices can impact animals and our future. It's just beautiful, Wayne. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your support. Yeah, well, we're thrilled that you could be with us, and we hope that you'll come back and, and let us know of future things that you're working on because we'd love to, to hear what you're doing, and we want to support your efforts and the Humane Society's efforts. Thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. We love to hear from you, so please keep those emails coming. And you know you can reach us at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and read our blog at WorkingLikeDogs.com. So thanks so much, and we look forward to be with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.